0: section six of cambridge medieval history volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org cambridge medieval history volume one section six chapter two the reorganization of the empire by j s reed part three the line taken by the reform of diocletian in the scheme of taxation was partly marked out for him by the anarchy of the third century which led to the great debasement of the coinage described above and to many oppressive exactions of an arbitrary character the lowering of the currency had disorganized the whole revenue and expenditure of the government where dues were receivable or stipends payable of a fixed nominal amount these had largely lost their value a natural consequence was that payments both to be made and to be received were ordered by diocletian to be reckoned in the produce of the soil and not in coin during the era of confusion a phrase in dictio had come into use to denote a special requisition made upon the provincials over and above their stated dues what diocletian did was to make what had been irregular into a regular and general impost subjecting all provincials to it alike and abolishing the unequal tributes of different kinds which had been previously required the result was an enormous leveling of taxation throughout the provinces and to some extent the immunity of italy itself was withdrawn but the sum to be raised from year to year was not uniform it depended on an announcement to which the word indictio was applied issued by the emperor for each year hence the number of indictionists proclaimed by an emperor became a convenient means for denoting the years of his reign the assessment of communities and individuals was managed by an elaborate process the newly arranged burdens fell on land the territorium attached to every town was surveyed and the land classified according to its use for growing grain or producing oil or wine a certain number of acres eugera of arable land was called a eugum the number varied partly according to the quality of the soil which was roughly graded partly according to the province in which it was situated in the case of oil the taxable unit was often arrived at by counting the number of olive trees and this was sometimes the case with vines the iugum was however supposed to be fixed in accordance with the limits of one man's labor and therefore caput person and iugum from the point of view of revenue became convertible terms but men and women and slaves and cattle were taxed separately and in addition to the tax on the land each man or slave on a farm counted as one and each woman as half a caput a certain number of cattle constituted also a iugum, and thus there was no need to divide up the pasture lands as the arable lands were divided meadows were rated for the supply of fodder the total requirements of the government were stated in the indictio, and every community had to contribute in accordance with the number of taxable units which the survey had disclosed all the produce which the taxpayers handed over was stored in great government barns horia the system of collection though decentralized was bad the decurions or senators of each town or the ten chief men of each town de primi, were responsible for handing over to the government all that was due a revision took place every five years and was generally carried through with much unfairness and oppression of the poor landholders apparently a fresh survey was not made but evidence taken by the town offices and the town itself from three twelve onwards we find a fifteen year indiction period which came to be largely used as a chronological instrument it would seem that every fifteenth year a reallotment of taxes was made which was based on actual survey but evidence for this is scanty an imperial revenue officer called was restricted to the duty of receiving the dues from a community as a whole outside imperial officers were called in to assist in the collection of dues from recalcitrant taxpayers this happened at first occasionally then regularly naturally another door was thus opened to oppression from which the rich would manage to escape more lightly than the poor the special arrangement made by diocletian for italy will be explained later also the exemptions accorded to privileged classes of individuals along with the payment of government dues in kind went the payment of stipends in kind a certain amount of corn wine meat and other necessaries grouped together constituted a unit to which the name annona was applied and salaries military and civil were largely calculated in anoni. where allowance was made for horses the amount granted for each was called capitum when stability was in some degree secured for the currency these anoni were again expressed in money by a valuation called adiratio the government to be on safety's side of course exacted as a rule more produce from the soil than was needed for use and the excess was turned into money naturally at low prices in addition to the burdens on the land many other imposts were levied the maintenance of the post service along the main roads was most oppressive in the towns every trade was taxed the contribution bearing the name of lustralis collatio or the customs dues at the ports and transit dues at the frontier were maintained revenues were derived from government monopolies in mines forests salt factories and other possessions some of the old republican imposts such as the tax on manumitted slaves still survived persons of distinction were subject to special exactions imperial senators paid several dues especially the so-called which like many inevitable forms of taxation professed in its name to be a free-will offering senators of municipal towns de Curionis, were weighted both by local and by imperial burdens every five years of his reign the emperor celebrated a festival at which he dispensed large sums to the army and to civil functionaries at the same time the decuriones of the municipalities had to pay an oppressive tax known as aurum caroni aurum the beginnings of which go right back to the time of the republic as is shown below certain trading corporations were hereditarily bound to assist in the provisioning of the two capitals and some other miscellaneous services were similarly treated from the third century the officer who in each province looked after the imperial revenue whose earlier title was procurator began to be called rationalis but under Diocletian's system each governor became the chief financial officer in his province for each diocesis there was appointed sumi Rei, in which name sumi rei refers to the complex of provinces forming the diocesis the great imperial minister of finance at the centre bore the same name at first summa race in his case indicated the whole empire but the title comus Sacrarum Largitionum came into use in the reign of constantine this officer advanced from the rank of perfectissimus to a high place among the illustrious the appellation comus came to be given to all the chief financial officers in the dioceses of the east and to some of those in the west while others continued to bear the name rationalis disputes between taxpayers and the lower government financial officers were doubtless decided in the last resort by the comus Sequarum largidionum a number of treasury officials and officers of the mint were under his orders in certain places rome milan lugdunum london and others sub treasuries of the government were maintained there were also factories for the supply to the court of many fabrics all these the comus had under his charge and he was in touch with the administrators of all public income and expenditure throughout the empire the emperor had revenues which he distinguished as personal to himself rather than public although they doubtless were largely expended on imperial administration these personal revenues were derived from two sources distinguished as race privata and patrimonium and administered to some extent by different staffs in theory the patrimonium consisted of property which might be regarded as belonging to the emperor apart from the crown while the race privata attached to the crown itself but these distinctions were of no great practical value the imperial estates and possessions had come to be enormous and covered large parts of some provinces we have seen that the control of the imperial domains in one province Cappadocia, was entrusted to the quaestor sacri cubiculi the concentration of these immense estates in the hands of the ruler had an important effect upon the general evolution of society in the empire these properties had largely accrued by confiscation mainly as a consequence of struggles for the supreme power the head of the administration of the race privata designated as in the regular army the members of the body were raised far above the ordinary soldier by their personnel their privileges their pay in some cases equal to that of civil officials of a high grade by their equipment and by the estimation in which they were held the historian ammianus marcellinus served in their ranks they were divided into sections called scoli still another corps of imperial guards was created by constantine consisting of scoli distinguished as scoli scutoriorum who were romans and scoli Gentilium, who were barbarians they were detached from the general army organization and were under the orders of the magister Officiorum. their history was not unlike that of the praetorians they became equally turbulent and equally inefficient as soldiers with the new organization of the army there sprang up new military offices of high importance with new names constantine created two high officers as chief commanders of the mobile army a magister equitum and a magister peditum their position resembled that of the prefecti praetorio of the early empire in several respects they were immediately dependent on the emperor and also from the nature of their commands on one another but circumstances and time changed their duties and their numbers they had sometimes to take the field when the emperor was not present and the division between the infantry command and the cavalry command thus broke down hence the titles magister equitum et petitum and magister utriusque militii or magister militum simply the jealousy which the emperors naturally entertained for all high officers caused considerable variations in the position and importance of these magistries after the middle of the fourth century the necessary connection of the magistry with the emperor's person had ceased and the command of a magister generally embraced the diocesis within which war occurred or threatened where the emperor was there would be two magistries called either distinguished as commanders of infantry and cavalry or bearing the title of magistri u triusque militi but in the fifth century the emperor was generally in practice a military nonentity and was in the hands of one magister who was not unfrequently the real ruler of the empire as was the case with all high officials the magistri exercised jurisdiction over those under their not only in matters purely military but in cases of crime and even to some extent in connection with civil proceedings the lower commanders also possessed similar jurisdiction but the details are not known appeal was to the emperor who delegated the hearing as a rule to one or other of the highest civil functionaries no view of the great imperial hierarchy of officials would be complete which did not take account of the new title comus its application followed no regular rules in the earlier latin it was used somewhat loosely to designate men who accompanied a provincial governor and were attached to his staff cohorts especially such as held no definite office connected with administration whether military or civil such unofficial members of the staff seem especially to have assisted the governor in legal matters and in time they were paid and were punishable under the laws against extortion in the provinces in the early empire the title comus begins to be applied in no very precise manner to persons attached to the service of the emperor or of members of the imperial family but only slowly did it acquire an official significance inscriptions of the reign of marcus aurelius show a change as many persons were assigned the title in this one reign as in all the preceding reigns put together probably at this time began the bestowal of the title on military as well as legal assistance of the emperor and soon its possessors were chiefly military officers who after serving with the emperor took commands on the frontier then from the end of the reign of severus alexander to the early years of constantine the description comus augusti was abolished for human beings but attached to divinities constantine restored it to its mundane employment and used it as an honorific designation for officers of many kinds who were not necessarily in the immediate neighbourhood of an augustus or caesar but were servants of the augustus or augusti and caesars generally that is to say might occupy any position in the whole imperial administration constantine seems to have dispatched comitus not all of the same rank or importance to provinces or parts of the empire concerning which he wished to have confidential information later they appear in most districts and the ordinary rulers are in some degree subject to them and they hear appeals and complaints which otherwise would have been laid before the prefecta praetorio the provinciarum. afford a striking illustration of the manner in which offices were piled up upon offices in the vain attempt to check corruption and misgovernment in the immediate neighbourhood of the court the name comus was attached to four high military officers the magister equitum and magister peditum and the commanders of the domestici equitus and the domestici peditus also to four high civil officers the high treasurer comus and the controller of the privy purse comus rerum praewatarum also the quaestor sacri palatii and the magister Oficiorum these high civil functionaries appear as comitus consistiorionin being regular members of the privy council consistorium before the end of constantine's reign the words connecting the comus with the emperor and the caesar's drop out possibly because the imperial rulers were deemed to be too exalted for any form of companionship and man is now not comus augusti but comus merely or with words added to identify his duties as for instance when the district is stated within which a military or civil officer acts on whom the appellation has been bestowed the former necessary connection of the comus with the court having ceased the name was vulgarized and connected with offices of many kinds sometimes of a somewhat lowly nature in many cases it was not associated with duties at all but was merely titular as a natural result comitus were classified in three orders of dignity primi secundi tertii ordinis admission to the lowest rank was eagerly coveted and often purchased because of the immunity from public burdens which the boon carried with it constantine also adapted the old phrase patricius to new uses the earlier emperors first by special authorization later merely as emperors had raised families to patrician rank, but the result was merely a slight increase in social dignity. From Constantine's time onwards the dignity was rarely bestowed, and then the patricii became a high and exclusive order of nobility. They had precedence next to the emperor, with the exception of the consuls actually in office. Their titles did not descend to their sons. The best known of the patrici are some of the great generals of barbarian origin who were the last hopes of the crumbling empire the title lasted long it was bestowed on charles martel and was known later in the byzantine empire at the centre of the great many-storied edifice of the bureaucracy was the consistorium or most honorable privy council there was deep-rooted in the roman mind the idea that neither private citizen nor official should decide on important affairs without taking the advice of those best qualified to give it this feeling gave rise to the great advising body for the magistrates the senate to the jury who assisted in criminal affairs to the bench of councillors drawn from his staff who gave aid to the provincial governor and also to the loosely constituted gathering of friends whose opinion the pater familius demanded to every one of these groups the word concilium was applicable it was natural that the early emperors should have their concilium, the constitution of which gradually became more and more formal and regular hadrian gave a more important place than heretofore to the jurisconsults among his advisers for a while a regular paid officer called conciliarius existed in diocletian's time the old name concilium was supplanted by consistorium the old advisers of the magistrates sat on the bench with them and therefore sometimes bore the name adcessores but it was impious to be seated in the presence of the new divinized rulers and from the practice of standing consistory the council derived its new name from constantine the council received a more definite frame as shown above certain officers became cometus consistoriani, but these officers were not always the same after constantine's reign and additional persons were from time to time called in for particular business the prefectus pretorio precins or in com- tatu would usually attend the consistorium was both a council of state for the discussion of naughty imperial questions and also a high court of justice though it is difficult to determine exactly what cases might be brought before it probably that depended on the emperor's will it is necessary that something should be said of the position which the two capitals rome and constantinople held in the new organization and of the traces which still hung about italy of its Older historical privileges. The old Roman Senate was allowed a nominal existence with a changed constitution and powers which were rather municipal than imperial. Of the old offices whose holders once filled the Senate, the consulship, praetorship, and quaestorship survived, while the tribunate and the edileship died out. Two consularis ordinarii were named by the emperor who would sometimes listen to recommendations from the senators the years continued to be denoted by the consular names and to add dignity to the office the emperor or members of the imperial family would sometimes hold it the tenure of the office was brief and the consulus suffecti during the year were selected by the senate with the emperor's approval but to be consul suffectus was of little value even from a personal point of view a list of nominations for the praetorship and quaestorship was laid by the profectus urbi before the emperor for confirmation. Apart from these old offices, many of the new dignitatis carried with them membership of the Ordo Senatorius. Ultimately, all officials who were clarissimi, that is to say, who possessed the lowest of the three noble titles, belonged to it. Thus, it included not merely the highest functionaries as the principal military officers the civil governors and the chiefs of bureau but many persons lower down in the hierarchy of office for example all the committees. the whole body must have comprised some thousands but a man might be a member of the ordo without being actually a senator only the higher functionaries and priests and the consularis described above with possibly a few others actually took part in the proceedings the actual senate and the ordo were distinguished by high-sounding titles in official documents and emperors would occasionally send communications to the senate about high matters and make pretence of asking its advice out of respect for its ancient prestige but its business was for the most part comparatively petty and chiefly confined to the immediate needs of the city but every now and then it was convenient for the ruler to expose the senate to the odium of making unpopular decisions as in cases of high treason and when pretenders rose or changes of government took place the favour of this ancient body still carried with it a certain value among the chief functions of the senators was the supervision of the supply of panis et circenses provisions and amusements for the capital the games were chiefly paid for by the holders of the consulship praetorship and quaestorship the obligation resting on the praetorship was the most serious and therefore nomination to this magistracy took place many years in advance that the money might be ready naturally these burdens became to a large extent compulsory and so even women who had inherited from a senator had to supply money for such purposes rich men of course exceeded the minimum largely with a view to display the old privilege still attached to rome of receiving corn from africa diocletian divided italy into two districts of which the northern annonaria regio paid tribute for support of the court at milan while the southern diocesis romi or Suburbicaria Regio supplied wine kettle and some of the necessaries for the capital senators as such in the Senatorius Ordo, were subject to special taxation as well as the ordinary taxation of the provinces with exception perhaps of the aurum coronarium the folus senatorius was a particular tax on senatorial lands and even a landless senator had to pay something the aurum abloticium already mentioned was specially burdensome the most important officer connected with the senate was the prefectus urbi his office had grown steadily in importance during the whole existence of the empire and from the time of constantine its holder was weir illustrious he was the only high official of the empire who continued to wear the toga and not the military garb he was at the head of the senate and was the intermediary between that body and the emperor the powers of his office were extraordinary the members of the senate resident in rome were under his criminal jurisdiction there was an appeal to him from all the lesser functionaries who dealt with legal matters in the first instance not only in the capital but in a district extending one hundred miles in every direction his control spread over every department of business he was the chief guarding of public security and had the cohortis urbani as well as the praefectus vigilum under his command the provisioning of the city was an important part of his duty and the praefectus annoni acted under his orders a whole army of officials many of them bearing titles which would have been strange to the republican early empire assisted him in looking after the water supply controlling trade and the markets and the traffic on the river in maintaining the river banks and taking account of the property of senators in many other departments of affairs it is difficult to say how far his position was affected by the presence in the city of a corrector and a vicarius of the praefectus praetorio the material welfare of rome was at least abundantly cared for by the new monarchy the city had already grown accustomed to the loss of dignity caused by the residence of the emperors and cities more convenient for the purposes of government but the foundation of constantinople must have been a heavy blow the institutions of the old rome were to a great extent copied in the new there was a senate subject to the same obligations as in rome most of the magistracies were repeated but until three fifty nine no praefectus erbi seemed to have existed at constantinople elaborate arrangements were made for placing the new city on a level with the old as regards tributes of corn wine and other necessaries from the provinces the more frequent presence of the ruler gave to the new capital a brilliance which the old must have envied so far the machinery of the new government in its several parts has been described we must now consider in outline what was its total effect upon the inhabitants of the empire the inability of the ruler to assure good government to his subjects was made conspicuous by the frequent creation of new offices whose object was to curb the corruption of the old the multiplication of the functionaries in close touch with the population rendered oppression more certain and less punishable than ever lactantius declares with pardonable exaggeration that the number of those who lived on the taxes was as great as the number who paid them the evidence of official rapacity is abundant the laws thundered against it in vain oftentimes it happened that illegitimate exactions were legalized in the empty hope of keeping them within bounds penalties expressed in laws were plain enough and numerous enough for corruption in a province not only the governor but his whole officium were liable to make heavy recompense and the comparative powerlessness of the governor is shown by the fact that the officium is more heavily malted than its head but a downtrodden people rarely will or can bring legal proof against its oppressors nothing but extensive arbitrary dismissal and punishment of his servants by the emperor without insistence on forms of law would have met the evil as it was corruption reigned through the empire with little check and the illicit gains of the emperor's servants added to the strain imposed by the heavy imperial taxation thus the benefit which the provincials had at first received by the substitution of imperial for republican government was more than swept away their absorption into the roman polity on terms of equality with their conquerors brought with it degradation and ruin during the fourth century that extraordinary development was completed whereby society was reorganized by a demarcation of classes so rigid that it became extremely difficult for any man to escape from that condition of life into which he was born in the main but not altogether this result was brought about by the fiscal system when the local senates or their leaders were made responsible for producing to the government the quota of taxation imposed on their districts it became necessary to prevent the members discurionis or curialis from escaping their obligations by passing into another path of life and also to compel the sons to walk in their father's footsteps but the maintenance of the local order was necessary also from the local as well as the imperial point of view the magistracies involve compulsory as well as voluntary payments for local objects and therefore those capable of filling them must be thrust into them by force if need were every kind of magistracy in every town of the empire and every official position in connection with any corporate body whether priestly college or trade guild or religious guild brought with it expenditure for the benefit of the community and on this in great part the ordinary life of every town depended the theodosian coach shows that the ascending de was in the end treated as a runaway slave five gold pieces were given to any one who would haul him back to his duties in time the members also of all or nearly all professional corporations collegia or corpora were held to duties by the state and the burden of them descended from father to son the evolution by which these free unions for holding together in a social brotherhood all those who followed a particular occupation were turned into bodies with the stamp of caste upon them is to be traced with difficulty in the extent inscriptions and the legal literature here as everywhere the fiscal system instituted by diocletian was a powerful agent a large part of the natural fruits of the earth passed into the hands of government and a vast host of assistance was needed for transport and distribution and the organization for maintaining the food supply at rome and constantinople became more and more elaborate for the annona alone many corporations had to give service in most cases easily divined from their names as navitularii frumentarii mercatoris Suiari, Pequari, Pistores, Porari, and numerous others similar bodies were connected with public works with police functions as the extinction of fires with government operations of numerous kinds in the mints the mines the factories for textiles and arms and so on in the early empire the service rendered to the state was not compulsory and partly by rewards such as immunity from taxation partly by pay the government was willingly served but in time the burdens became intolerable state officers ultimately controlled the minutest details connected with these corporations and the tasks imposed did not entirely proceed from the imperial departments the curialis of the towns could enforce assistance from the local within their boundaries and the tentacles of the great octopus of the central government were spread over the provinces in the fourth and later centuries the restrictions on the freedom of these corporations were extraordinarily oppressive egress from inherited membership was inhibited by the government except in rare instances ingress as into the class of curiales, was directly or indirectly compulsory the colleges differed greatly in dignity and some as in that of the even senators might be concerned and office-holders might obtain among their rewards the rank of roman knight on the other hand the bakers approached near the condition of slavery marriage for instance outside their own circle was forbidden whereas in other cases it was only rendered difficult property which had once become subject to the duties required of a collegium could hardly be released the end was that collegiati or corporati all over the empire took any method they could find of escaping from their servitude and the law's severest punishments could not check the movement if we may believe some late writers thousands of citizens found life in barbarian lands more tolerable than in the roman empire the status of other classes in the community also tended to become hereditary this was the case with the officiales and the soldiers though here compulsion was not so severe but the tillers of the ground Colonnai, were more hardly treated than any other class it became impossible for them without breach of the law to tear themselves away from the soil of the locality within which they were born the evolution of this peculiar form of serfdom which existed for the purposes of the state is difficult to trace many causes contributed to its growth and final establishment as the extension of large private and especially of vast imperial domains the imitation of the german half-free land tenure when barbarians were settled Atalitai, or inquilini, within the empire, the influence of Egyptian and other Eastern land customs, but above all the drastic changes in the imperial impost which Diocletian introduced. The cultivator's principal end in life was to ensure a contribution of natural products for the revenue; hence, it was a necessity to chain him to the ground. And in the law books, agscriptus is the commonest title for him. The details of the scheme of taxation given above show how it must have tended to diminish population for every additional person even a slave increased the contribution which each holding must pay the owners of the land were in the first instance responsible but the burdens of course fell ultimately and in the main on the agricultural workers the temporary loss of provinces to the invader the failure of harvest in any part of the empire the economic effects of pestilence and other accidents all led to greater sacrifices on the part of those provinces which were not themselves affected the exactions became heavier and heavier the punishments for attempts to escape from duty more and more severe and yet flight and disappearance of took place on a large scale by the end of the fourth century it was possible for lawyers to say of this unhappy class that they were almost in the condition of slaves and a century or so later that the distinction between them and slaves no longer existed that they were slaves of the land itself on which they were born in many other ways under the new monarchy the citizens of the empire were treated with glaring inequality the gradations of official station were almost as important in the general life of the empire as they now are in china and they were reflected in titular phrases some of which have been given above etiquette became most complicated even the emperor was bound to exalt the forms of address in his communications with his servants or with groups of persons within his empire your sublimity your magnificence your loftiness were common salutations for the greater officers the ruler did not disdain to employ the title "parents" in addressing some of them the innumerable new titles which the empire had invented were highly valued and much paraded by their possessors even the titles of offices in the municipalities great hardship must have been caused to the lower ranks of the taxpayers by the extensive relief from taxation which was accorded to hosts of men in the service of the government nominal or real as part payment for the duties which they performed or were supposed to perform with these immunities as with everything else in the empire there was much corrupt dealing the criminal law became a great respect of persons not only was the jurisdiction over the upper classes separated at many points from that over the lower but the lower were subject to punishments from which the upper were free gradually the empire drifted farther and farther away from the old republican principle that crimes as a rule are to be punished in the same way whoever among the citizens commits them a sharp distinction was drawn between the more honorable honestiores and the more humble humiliores or plebii, the former included the imperial ordo senatorius the equitus the soldier class generally and veterans and the local senators de Curionis the honestiores could not be executed without the emperor's sanction and if executed were exempt from crucifixion a form of punishment altogether abolished by the christian emperors they could not be sentenced to penal servitude in mines or elsewhere nor could they be tortured in the course of criminal proceedings excepting for treason magic and forgery a general survey of roman government in the fourth and later centuries undoubtedly leaves a strong impression of injustice inequality and corruption leading fast to ruin but some parts of the empire did maintain a fair standard of prosperity even to the verge of the general collapse the two greatest problems in history how to account for the rise of rome and how to account for a fall never have been perhaps never will be thoroughly solved End of section six.